So we're in week nine of our summer series, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Times. And as I look at the state of our country right now, <clears throat> there's so many issues that need to be addressed in our country, so many problems that need to be resolved, so many hazards that need to be avoided. Uh, it can kind of be a bit overwhelming if you just look at it all. And so today, I want to apply ancient wisdom to our modern problems. And uh, you know, probably the most prevailing problem that we are facing collectively as a world and the country right now is we're living through a recession uh, in, in order to control out of uh, control uh, inflation. The Fed is raising interest rates in an effort to uh, slow demand with the goal of ultimately lowering inflation. This week, as I'm sure you're aware, the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis announced that GDP had decreased again in two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth is typically the definition of a recession. And uh, a recession will likely, over time, elevate unemployment, reduce corporate earnings, and then that customarily lowers the equity markers. Then when people feel poorer, they, they don't buy as much, so demand goes down, supply goes up, prices come down, and it's just basically economics 101, right? It's just kind of the way it works. And so regardless of whether we are or aren't in a recession, it's a big debate today, we can't disagree with the fact that nearly all prices are going up on everything, right? Uh, and, and it's affecting everyone. Um, sadly, it has a more profound impact on those who are in lower income uh, brackets. In fact, inflation is called a tax on those with lower income. But we can see it. Grocery prices are up 12.2%. Gasoline's up $1.30 a gallon. Used car prices are way up. Naples, Florida holds the distinction of having the highest rent inflation in the country at 38%. Uh, construction costs are up 14.1%. So for the average family in our community, these price increases are, are having an effect uh, in creating numerous problems. Uh, the Harry Chapin Food Bank uh, out of Fort Myers uh, uh, says that demand for food at food banks is now up 30% uh, over last year. So people are struggling to pay rent and utilities uh, and, and, and buy food and pay for gas. And we get phone calls at the church all the time, uh, folks asking us, can you help with rent? Can you help with utilities? And just so you know, uh, we, we have chosen to help with food. That's the area that we help. If somebody has a food need, we'll help with that. But there just aren't the resources around for us as a church to help with rent and utilities and things like that. But that's, that's what we do. Food is the area that we try to help people as much as we can. So as we collectively are going into or living in a recession, what do we do? Does the Bible give us any instruction or wisdom uh, of what we should do at this kind of a, a time? And you know, when you read the book of Proverbs, it's just amazing. And we've been reading through them one a day uh, throughout the summer. You know, today is uh, the 31st of July. That means we would read Proverbs 31 today, tomorrow Proverb 1, as we go through uh, the book of Proverbs. But like me, you've probably noticed how much the book of Proverbs and Solomon talks about money and debt and finances and hard work and savings. And so we're going to look and see just what, what can we glean from ancient wisdom 
about how to deal with our current situation. I mean, Solomon was the wisest and the wealthiest man that ever lived, so he probably has some, some good information for us to know what to do. So as I began to think and process how I wanted to present uh, these thoughts with you today, I decided to do it in seven simple statements. They're going to be don't statements. Don't do this. Instead, do that. So just simple, seven simple don'ts, then with they just do this. So before we jump in uh, with both feet, can we just pause and pray and ask God for his blessing? Heavenly Father, we come together this morning, we recognize your presence in this place. And God, these good folks have come to hear from you today, not from me. So God, I pray that as we open your word, as we teach through the Proverbs, that God you would give us wisdom, that you would open our eyes to things we may need to do differently. Uh, Father, that you would teach us, inspire us, correct us, appoint us, just show us, God, what it is you'd have us to do. I pray that each person that's in this room, regardless of their financial status, but that each person here today would feel your finger touch their heart and say, you know, this is an area that you could work on. So God, may each one of us hear from you today. We dedicate this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're taking notes, number one is don't be clueless. Know the state of your affairs. Proverbs 27, 23. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Be careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Now in the Old Testament... Uh, wealth was usually tied up in cattle and sheep and livestock and land. And uh, that's how you knew your net worth because you knew how many sheep and how many cows and, and how many different kinds of animals you had and how much land you owned. That's how you knew what you had. So when Solomon says here, know the state of your flocks, know the condition of your flocks, it's akin to a financial advisor telling you to know your net worth, know what your investment income is, the balances, the debts, and whatever other assets you may have. Today we might say, have a solid budget that shows you what you have, what you earn, and what you owe. A budget is a very important financial tool to help families to make sure they live within their means. Dave Ramsey says this, he says, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went, right? You ever been there? Like, where did all the money go? We make so much money and it's all gone? Seriously? How does this happen? He goes on to say this, a budget isn't about restricting what you can spend, it gives you permission to spend without guilt or regret, because you've saved for it, because you've prepared for it. As costs have elevated over the last 12 to 18 months. You may need to readjust the budget that you established earlier this year. Food and energy costs have gone up significantly, so you may need to increase your budget category for those and decrease different categories in order that you don't find yourself in a situation where you're spending money you don't have and force yourself to live on credit cards. So it's important that we know our financial condition, that we have a budget. For the first 15 years uh, of our marriage, uh, Karen and I used the envelope system. There was a guy by the name of Larry Burkett. Anybody remember Larry Burkett? You know, uh, you know we hook, line, and sinker. We followed his, his plan, and uh, it was great. He was the Dave Ramsey of 25 years ago, and, uh, and we did it. I mean, you know, 
we would cash the paychecks, get it converted to cash, stick it in envelopes. And if there was a food envelope and an entertainment envelope and, you know, things like this, and that's the money we had to spend. And it worked great. It helped to develop a discipline in our lives. Today, there are other great resources and ways that you can do that. But at the end of the day, regardless of what you earn, uh, you need to have a budget so that you stay within a framework. I think it's a biblical thing to know the state, the condition of your flock, your finances. Secondly, he said, don't be lazy. Be willing to work hard. Proverbs 6, 9 says, how long will you live there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. What is a sluggard? A sluggard is a slow, lazy, and indecisive person. Sluggards look for the easy way of doing things, the less energetic way. Sluggards look for the shortcut. They want to just make it as easy as possible. Sluggards are known for laying around all day, staying in bed, sitting on the couch, watching TV, playing, playing games all day. Instead of doing what they should be doing, the sluggard instead makes excuses. And, and this was happening 4,000 years ago in the time of Solomon. Listen to what Solomon said in Proverbs twenty-two thirteen. The sluggard said, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the public square. Solomon's like, Really? You're going to stay in the house instead of go getting a job because there might be a lion in the public square? I mean, it's crazy. It'd be like saying, well, I'm not going to go out and get a job because, you know, there's a lot of people die in car accidents every day, and, and I don't want to get in a car accident, so I'm going to stay in my house. It's kind of absurd that you would, you would do that, and that's kind of what Solomon was saying here. A lazy person looks for any excuse to not have to do hard work. Now, the reality is these are difficult days. And you may need to pick up an extra shift. You may need to take a part-time job. You may need to find a, a gig. You may need to find a, a side hustle. You may, need to, you may be retired and thought your, your fixed income was going to be enough, and you're finding out that it's not enough. And, and so you can sit there and you can curse the economy and the government and your employer and COVID and whatever you want to curse. But at the end of the day, you may just need to find a way to make a little extra money because that's how you get through times like this. Sometimes you just have to do what you have to do. Thomas Edison said this, he says, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overhaul and looks like hard work, <laughs> right? He knew what he was talking about a couple hundred years ago. Proverbs 18.9, Solomon said, one who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. A slacker, again, is a person that you're never going to find them given 110%. Uh, you don't have to worry about the slacker going the extra mile. That's just not the way they do it. You try to give a a job performance or performance review to a slacker, they're not going to really care because they don't intend to put much energy into it anyhow. Well, here's the, here's the thing. As Christians, that's not what we're called to. Paul said this in Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are, see, you are serving. You see, it pleases the Lord when we fully dedicate ourselves to hard work and to the task at hand. Listen, as Christian employees, we should distinguish ourselves from everyone else. We should work harder. We should be there on time. We should, we should be doing things with a high level of excellence. Why? Because we're serving the Lord, right? 
For us, this isn't just a job, it's a ministry. This is how we serve the Lord through our work, and therefore it should be done with a high level of integrity and excellence. And as we do that, it honors God, and I think it inspires other people. They'll see the fact that, wow, you guys are different. So what Solomon says is, know the state of your affairs. Be willing to work hard. And then third, he says, don't be careless. Develop the habit of living within your means. Proverbs 30, verse 7. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither, uh, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I will have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Interestingly, that's the only prayer in the entire book of Proverbs. And what an unusual prayer it is, right? Lord, don't give me poverty nor riches. Just give me enough. Just give me enough. You know, we may say that, you know, that's, that's what I want. You know, I, I just want enough. But sometimes enough gets confused with what I want or what I think I need. And before long, we find ourselves dissatisfied and discontent. Our needs and our income are constantly evolving over time. And so we just, we just need, to, we need to be satisfied with what we have and, and just, you know, live within our means. You know, and if you, you want a higher standard of living, then you're going to have to work a little bit harder. Financial experts agreed it's a sign of a good financial health to live within your means, regardless of your income status. Just because you may have the highest income you've ever had in your life doesn't mean that you should spend it all. You know, there are those that are making a, an amazing amount of money, but they're spending even a little bit more, right? So, you know, if you lo live within your means, you're, you're, you're spending less than you're earning. You're, you're not taking on debt. It's going to allow you to save money for emergencies, to invest for retirement. It's going to give you the freedom and the joy to you know, be able to really do whatever you feel you need to do. But there's this philosophy that goes on in the world today uh, that's called YOLO. You all, you all know YOLO? You only live once? It's this idea of, of uh, you know, oh, well, you know, I know I probably shouldn't buy it, but YOLO, and they think it's all cute by saying YOLO, you know, like, like it somehow, it's, it, it gives you permission to go into debt to buy something you don't really need because you only live once. Well, there's a couple of problems with that. Number one, you don't only live once, you live twice, right? If you're a Christian, you live in this world and in the life to come, right? So you don't live just once, you live twice. And really what YOLO is, is just an excuse to live an undisciplined life. It's an excuse that we use to justify buying something that we probably shouldn't buy in the first place. So to live within your means means you need to evaluate your budget. You may need to cut back on entertainment or going out to eat or subscriptions or hobbies or other indulgences that you may have. Before you buy something, ask yourself, do I really need this? Just because you have the ability you have the finances to buy it. Ask yourself, is this the wise thing? Is, you know, would it please the Lord for me to spend my money on this or his money on this? Is it a good steward of the resources the Lord has given me to, to buy this? And just, just ask yourself these things. 
Don't get caught up in the marketing of the world that says, oh, there's a latest version that came out of the new phone and you've got to have it because it's got a higher refresh rate on the screen and it's got a bigger chip and a faster chip and it'll do this and, you know, fold laundry and all kinds of things. I mean, this, this is the phone you've got to have, you know, and we go, oh, you run right out and buy that when the phone you have in your pocket's perfectly fine, right? Ask yourself, do I really need this? F.M. Alexander said this. People do not decide their futures. They decide their habits, and their habits decide their futures. Here's my challenge. Get into the habit of telling yourself not yet. Get into the habit of delaying a purchase by saying, you know what, I'm going to delay a week, maybe two weeks, to see if at the end of one week or two weeks do I really still feel that I need this. And if you do, then buy it. But get into the habit of saying not yet. Wait some time before you buy things. Too often, we get caught up in the emotion of it, in the addiction of it, and we click yes, we click buy, we go out and we purchase it before we have the money to pay for it, so it ends up going on credit card or some kind of debt, and the next thing you know, our debt has snowballed, and we're not sure how we're going to make all the payments that we have to make. What does Solomon say? Live within your means, especially at a time of financial recession. Number four, don't be foolish put away savings for the future. Again, Proverbs 13, 7, one person pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. <clears throat> Appearances are deceiving. I've lived in the Naples, Marco Island area for the last 19 years, and I've seen this verse played out numerous times. There are those who pretend to be rich, they try to impress people with their homes, with their cars, with their jewelry, with their vacations. But the reality is they're just squeaking by. They're in debt up to their eyeballs. Everything they own is leveraged. And they don't know how they're going to make it. And they're, and they're holding out for some big windfall that hopefully will come through at some time. And then there's the other people. Those who pretend to be poor. They have enough money to do whatever they want, buy whatever they want, go wherever they want, do whatever they want, and that, yet you'd never know it by looking at them. You couldn't pick them out of a crowd. Now, those who pretend to be poor have likely developed the habit of saving for the future, and that's how they got to the place they're at. They've learned to be content. They don't have to be showy. They don't have to keep up with the Joneses. They don't have to uh, put it out there that they've got a bunch of things. They've disciplined themselves in times of plenty, so that when difficult times come, they have the resources to weather the financial storm. Proverbs 21.20, Solomon says, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Olive oil in this context represents staple commodities, those things that, uh, you know, food and, and clothing. A wise person will make sure that he has enough supplies set aside in his or her home. In the Old Testament, you didn't have banks and you didn't have stock markets and exchanges. You couldn't put your money with a financial advisor. You stored up value by ultimately buying things that your family would need in the future, oil and grain and food and land. But here's the reality. We don't put our hope in those things that we've stored up. We put our hope in God. That's what Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So 
While we put our hope in God, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be planning ahead, that we shouldn't be saving for the future and investing, investing and diversifying our holdings. Solomon goes on to say in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 24, four things are small on earth, yet they are extremely wise. Verse 25 talks about the first one, ants. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. And ants are so small. I mean, can you even imagine how tiny their little brains are? And yet ants have an excellent strategy for survival, right? These tiny little creatures, they work like crazy in the summertime, and they store up food. That way, they can survive the winter and come back to pester us next year, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what they do. That's their key to the survival. Solomon says, Hey, you know what? It'd be wise for you to pay attention to the ant because they know a few things. Not the wisest creature in the earth, but they know this. They, need, they know you need to save up in times of plenty for the times when there aren't anything to eat. Will Rogers said this, the quickest way to double your money is to fold it in half and put it back in your pocket. <laughs> Some wisdom in that, right? Warren Buffett said this. He said, don't save what is left after spending. Spend what is left after saving. Some would say, pay yourself first, or, or maybe be generous towards God, pay yourself first, and then learn to live on the remainder. Here's what I know. We're all facing the same economic storm in this recession. The price of green, green beans and gasoline and the number one value meal at Wendy's has gone up for all of us, right? We're all paying more. And so, you know, we, we need to begin to live within our means, save money for the future. Dave Ramsey uh, has a course called the Financial Peace University. If you've never taken it, I strongly encourage you to do so. Sometimes we offer it here through the church. Uh, he gives several steps. I'm going to give you four of them. The number one is to have a, a $1,000 emergency fund. If, if you're just getting started in this, have a $1,000 emergency fund so that you don't have to put on credit card you know, when the tires in the car need to be replaced or when the brakes go out or things like that. You're not having to depend on a credit card. Have a $1,000 emergency fund. Once you've got that fully funded, then, then begin to work like crazy on paying off your credit cards because, I mean, you are going to waste a ton of money on credit card debt and interest. Get those things paid off and then begin to create what he calls a three to six month fully funded emergency fund. That's where you have three to six months of all of your expenses set aside as a fully funded emergency fund. And then once you've established that, then you work on getting to the place where you're putting 15% of your income into your retirement account. And then he goes on from there and some of the other things that you should do, and you'll have to take the class to get the rest of them. I think this is a, a fantastic plan. If you don't have a plan, then this plan is better than your plan. You know, you know go on uh, Financial Peace University, Google Dave Ramsey. You're going to figure out what to do there. Now, Dave would like our fifth point this morning, and that is this. Don't get ensnared ruthlessly. Eliminate debt. Proverbs 22.7 says the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Listen, when you are in debt, you're a slave. You're, you're entrapped. You're in bondage. You're a captive. You, you are chained. You're in service to whoever it is you owe money. And you aren't going to experience real financial freedom until you've broken free from all of that debt. And debt is a severe problem in our culture. Everywhere you look, 
from governments to the majority of people and businesses in the world, debt has become a way of life. As of Wednesday of this week, the United States government was $30 trillion, $608 billion in debt and growing by the second. We're on a path to financial ruin. It's only a matter of time. You know, this does not end well. If you study the history of countries, you know, when, when debt begins to snowball uh, much beyond this level, uh, it doesn't end well. It's only a matter of time until, uh, you know, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to collapse. You know, we'll end up losing uh, reserve currency status at some point uh, when we just continue to let the dollar and we just continue to borrow and borrow and borrow. But, you know, regardless of what happens in the government, it happens in individuals as well. The average American has $38,000 of non-mortgage debt. But the mean income in the United States is $44,225. So the mean income, 44000 average debt, 38000 You see a problem here? You know, it's only a matter of time. I don't want you, and I don't want to be in that kind of a situation. And Solomon would say, don't do that. Take whatever baby steps you need to do to eliminate debt in your life. Take the class. Humble yourself. Be willing to live within your means. Just, just do it. And, you know, once you've got your debt paid off, you can begin to put savings into your emergency fund, and it's going to make everything in your life so much easier. Number six, if you've done well with the other five, you may be at a place where number six could be something that becomes a big part of your life, and that is don't be greedy. Give generously to God and others. Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. It says, giving to the poor is like lending to the Lord. Now, here's what I know. If Jesus were to walk in the door, stand right down here front this morning, and say, Pastor, can I interrupt? I'll say, sure, of course. You know, And he comes up and he says, I need to borrow $100. How many of you would give Jesus $100 this morning if, if he asked for it? You know? Every single one of you would give Jesus $100, number one, because you know he's good for it, right? <laughs> you know, hey, I'm going to get that back. I know it. You know, he's good for it. Trust me. But listen, what did he say in the Bible? He says, listen, when you give to the poor, it's like lending to the Lord. When you give to the poor. Generous giving is a part of our DNA here at Venture. It's what we do. We love to meet the needs of those in our community. Whether it's individuals, whether it's schools, whether it's those around the world. We've given tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars away to people who have needs both in this country and out of this country. And... You know, uh, we have ordered a 40-foot custom mobile market trailer uh, that is being built right now up in Indiana. Lord willing, it'll be in by the end of the year and in the first of next year. Uh, the Venture Cares mobile market will be uh, on the road to providing uh, food to the hungry in this community. And uh, trust me, there are a lot of hungry people right here in this community. We tend to just think of, oh, well, everybody, everybody's here is wealthy. They all live in these gated communities and down by the water and things like that. And yeah, there are a lot of us wealthy here in this community, but there are a lot of people 
who are not wealthy. There are a lot of people who don't know where the next meal is coming from. They don't know how they're going to pay their rent. They don't know how they're going to keep the power on. And uh, the area that we as a church have chosen to help is in the area of hunger. We're, we're going to do the best that we can to provide good, nutritious, and healthy food to those. Now, one way we're distinguishing ourselves from a lot of the other food pantries is we're putting ours in a mobile market. It's actually going to be a single-aisle grocery store on wheels that they'll be able to pick up a shopping cart and go right down the center of it. And uh, not only will we provide food that you can get for, that we get from the local food bank, but then the things that often you can't get in a typical food pantry, we'll buy those things and make them available. Things like flour and sugar and cocoa and spices and tortillas and different things like that. that those things usually just don't come available in the food pantries, but we want to supply those as well. It's a part of just who we are. And not only are we going to be helping those who are under-resourced, but we also want to help those who are overburdened. There's a significant number of people in our community who are overburdened. We're talking about two parents, two kids, two cars, two jobs, and no money. You ever been there? Where you're both working and everybody's doing everything that you can, there's still not enough money at the end of the day. And there's a lot of people in that boat, and we want to help those folks as well. We can't solve all the problems that this country faces, but we can do the best we can to make a difference in our community. Amen? Solomon said this, Proverbs eleven twenty four: one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another person withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. I believe that God will bless our generosity as we give to those in need. Proverbs 22.9, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Now the blessing that comes uh, to the generous in this passage uh, isn't just talking about money, it's talking about true wealth, and I believe that is love. Tim Keller puts it this way, he says, Radical generosity is an act of love toward God and toward others that exponentially increases love. It moves us from seeing money as a currency of status and power to instead seeing it as a currency for loving God and others. I think that's good, isn't it? That the wealth and the things that God has given us is a currency of love that we get to share with other people. And then finally this morning, let me give you number seven. Don't be presumptuous. Be prepared for whatever may come your way. Proverbs 22.3 says, The prudent, the wise, see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going. And pay the penalty. Preparedness and readiness is a way of life. You don't have to be a purveyor of doom and gloom to see the value of careful planning for tomorrow's uncertainties. There are so many threats and potential issues affecting our world right now. I think a prudent person would consider it wise to live in a state of readiness for whatever catastrophe may present itself. We live in a world where there are natural disasters, hurricanes, floods, fires. We saw floods in Kentucky this week that were terrible. 25 people killed, so much destroyed. There are economic disasters. You know, we're already facing inflation and debt and oil crisis and food shortages and shipping disruptions, political upheaval. I mean, we are a nation divided. Social unrest, we've seen protests and shootings and riots, and we've even got a war going on in the world right now. But another one that doesn't get talked about much and it's just recently kind of come to the forefront is, is God's judgment. I thought God's judgment fell Thursday night at 4.01 a.m. 
I was sound asleep in bed, and the most God-awful noise I've ever heard in my life just went live. And I jumped out of bed and could not figure out what it was. It sounded like a space shuttle was taking off on the roof of my house. It was literally just roaring. The noise was unlike anything I'd ever heard. Uh, and, and, and I just could not figure out what was going on. Karen was asking me, what is it? I'm like, I don't know what it is. You know, where? I don't know. I mean, we, we were stumbling around trying to figure out what was going on. It was petrifying. And then I open my bedroom door and step onto the living room, and it's even louder. I'm like, what is that noise? Well, the surround sound system <laughs> went somehow hiccuped and went to a static station at max volume. And so it was just static at absolute max volume with the bass speaker shaking the house and the, it was all coming through the ceiling. I literally about had a heart attack. I thought God's judgment was coming down and this was it. You know, man, did that get my attention. <clears throat> but, you know, we may be facing God's judgment. In a recent message, Pastor John MacArthur on the West Coast made a startling comment that created quite a stir. He said that America is likely experiencing God's judgment at this time. I'm going to read you what he said. He says, when you see a nation deep in sexual sin, pervasively affirming of homosexuality in the insanity of a reprobate mind, where they make laws to criminalize righteousness and to legalize gross evil, you know that nation's under judgment. He said, what's our message to the nation? You're under judgment. It's too late. Judgment has been unleashed. You can hear but not understand. You can see but not perceive. This is a pastor with a very large platform and a very bold message. Whether he's right or whether he's wrong, time will tell. But as children of God, we should not fear God's judgment. We don't need to fear God's wrath, but we know this, that we should be prepared for God's judgment. When God judged the nation of Israel in the Old Testament times with famine and pestilence and other issues, it affected all people, the good people and the bad people. It affected those who believed in God and those who didn't. So regardless of the catastrophe that may present itself tomorrow, I think a prudent person would be prepared. You don't have to build bunkers and raise chickens and buy ammo to be prepared. It's a willingness to take personal responsibility for yourself, for your loved ones, and then be willing to share with those you may be able to help in the future. So the best way to survive any kind of a catastrophe, regardless of what it is, is through community. It's building a network of friends and people that you care for and that you work with and that you, you love. Because at the end of the day, we need each other. Most of you know I grew up on a farm in northeast Ohio. Grew up driving tractor and raising cows and cattle and things like this. We planted a garden in the summer. We, it was a big garden, probably an acre. We had freezers in the basement. We would butcher hog and cow and put the, freezer, put the meat in the freezer. In the summer, we canned green beans and froze corn and did all these kind of things. We kept seed from the harvest in the top of the barn so that we had seed for next year to plant. We weren't doomsday preppers. That's how we used to live in this country. That's how things used to be done. 
Victory gardens were the norm during World War II. And those who had them were considered heroes in the country, in the war effort. People who lived through the Great Depression learned a great appreciation for stocking up, of being self-reliant and self-prepared. I remember my Granny Ingram. She was born in 1902. She lived through the Great Depression. You know, I would go to her house, spend the night at her house. She taught me how to garden and, and you know, how to cook and do all kinds of different things. But she, oh, she had a closet in her house. And she had a, she had a food cellar, a, a pantry down in the basement where they kept things cool. I remember she would, she would send me up sometimes into the closet to get some sugar. Because she learned there was never going to be a time where she was going to face a sugar ration again. Amen? You know, could you imagine something so horrific to not be able to have white sugar? That's what she did. She saved a, a number, one of those big cans that was completely filled with sugar. You know, we live in a time where just-in-time inventory and fast food lifestyles have made it to where everything we get is instant these days. But in the last year and a half, we've learned a lesson, haven't we? That just-in-time doesn't always work. That shipping and, and containers and movement of goods can get interrupted. And we may find ourselves quarantined, locked up, not be able to get out. You know, we, we really do live with a fragile system. And I think what we're seeing here in, in 4,000 years ago, Solomon saying, listen, it isn't crazy or, inter, or insane to live a lifestyle of preparedness, of being ready for whatever may come down the pike. I think it's just prudent and wise that we do these things. So I just think it's amazing is here we are, 2022, facing a, a recession and a, a lot of big global issues, but so much of what we find in the Bible is applicable to us today. If we'll just use ancient wisdom for modern times, we'll be able to weather the current storms that we're facing, right? If we would just do these things, if we would know the state of our affairs, be willing to work hard, live within our means, put away savings for the future, ruthlessly eliminate debt, give generously to God and others, live prepared and ready, and guess what? We'll be able to make it. Amen? So today's message comes from a very practical book. And I love the book of Proverbs. I love the book of James. Why? Because they're both very practical. I'm a very practical person. You know, in my preaching, I try to preach very practical messages. I like to put the cookies in the bottom shelf. Make it so that everybody can understand it. So that, that it's something that if you walk out of here, there's probably something that you can have heard in the message that you can apply to your life today. But these things are only applicable if you actually apply them, if you actually put them into practice. So here's my challenge to you today. Go back over these seven things and maybe have the conversation around the dinner table today. Is there anything of those seven things that we could be doing better? Is there any of these things that we need to start doing? Anything we need to stop doing? Is there something that we, we should be doing better? And then do it. Put it into practice. And, uh, you know, as we do these things, I think we'll be able to weather whatever may come our way. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we lean into you, God, because 
regardless of all these things that we do, you are our source, you are our strength, you are our hope. You are our comfort during these difficult times. But God, your word gives us so many good truths that we can build into the fabric of our lives and the way we operate and function. So God, just help us. Help us to use the wisdom of Solomon to make good decisions in our life so that we can, we can face whatever may come, but not only so that we can survive, but so that we can thrive and so that we can help others. We can be the hands and feet of Jesus so we can minister and give and love on other people. So Lord, just bless us as we seek to put these things into practice today. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.